Uh, speaking of failing eyesight, I need my glasses for the small print on the questions. So some of you are very diligently um, responded to the, um, the notice on the website, uh, which said, please ask a question only related to the topic of the upcoming Sunday talk. Uh, of course, some of you didn't read the label. <laughs> or maybe you did read the label and say, well, I'm going to ask my question exactly the way I want to. Anyhow, there's always some who like to be at 10 and a half degrees to the horizontal. That's, this, that's the way it is, part of nature. So the first one, testing times, question mark. Throughout this pandemic, I've only been required to work two days a week on full pay and have spent most of the time sitting in the garden or walking in the park and meditating several hours per day. I would say it has been the most wonderful opportunity to have a break and the least challenging time of my life. So sympathetic jealousy might be arising. I'm about to enter a six-week period where I will not be required to work at all, still receive full pay, and the demands on my time are likely to be almost zero. However, I know that come September, my workload is likely to increase enormously. Do you have any advice on how to go from zero to 100? I feel that I might be unprepared for the change come September. Thanks for your live streams over the last months. Well, I would say take on a few of these Dutanga practices. <laughs> Get ready for a bit more limitation. Um, uh, consciously undertake a bit more of the, the work that uh, that you could do, what work can be done remotely from home. But also, uh, I would say more importantly, to to actively contemplate the uh, anicca, the anicca sanya. So like for for, um, for myself, so when I'm walking along around the, 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 the limited pathways that I, I walk on here at Amravati, I, I would consciously reflect, well, today I can walk, uh, tomorrow I might not be able to. Uh, today I can see, I can enjoy the beautiful colors of the, the, the summer flowers and the, the blue sky today. But... Uh, who knows when my vision might go? My, my mother uh, lost her, her eyesight when she was 70. Her father lost his eyesight at 70 uh, before her. I take after both of them. I'm 63. <laughs> so, so who knows whether my eyesight will also start eroding at 70 or even before. Yeah? But, uh, both of them had macular degeneration. And uh, were not, neither of them ever complained about being blind, but they both had that experience. So I consciously reflect on my eyesight. Okay, today, beautiful colors, blue carpet, red walls, brown monks, dark brown nuns, white anagari cars. Uh, so, but in a few years, maybe colors will be lost. Uh, so that kind of conscious contemplation, oh, okay, today there is this, tomorrow, who knows? Or later today, who knows? And that... That, because it's that kind of complacency, taking things for granted, that sets us up for suffering. And that when we are um, able to, to recognize, oh, okay, today it feels like there's no responsibility, um, and I'm enjoying this, but yeah, how long will it last? How long can it last? What am I depending on? What am I taking for granted? What am I presuming here? And so uh, that with our mental faculties, our ability to hear, to move, um, our, your ability to work, you're assuming that you will still have the capacity to work in September. Maybe you'll have an aneurysm and your brain will stop, you know, stop working. Uh, or maybe you won't even be alive in September. Maybe you'll get the COVID-19 and 
there's numerous cases where people went from being perfectly healthy, getting the getting the disease, and two weeks later passing away. And so that, uh, not that I'm making any predictions, but uh, notice the things that we take for granted, and that um, and uh, really bring bring them home, take them take them to heart, and then see the uh, the effect of that. So then, when the um, uh, say that the challenges do come, then you've done your homework. You're you're ready for those. Um, say the 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 array of things, the the, the array of challenges or possibilities that uh, that arise, and that um, that they because that kind of reflection and uh, using your imagination to 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 look to explore. Um, and to see where the mind is is getting habituated or taking things for granted, then that prepares us. That that brings a, a quality of adaptability. You're you're ready to see things in a different way. You're ready for things to, to change. And so, then you find yourself okay today, no workload. Tomorrow, big workload. Okay, and the, the heart is more adaptable and open to those changes. The next one. Does the Dhamma support civil disobedience if we believe our governments are lying to us about the COVID pandemic? <laughs> well, again, I don't make people's decisions for them. Uh, you, people are you're entirely at liberty to make your own choices. Um, I feel your yeah, civil disobedience or, or uh, getting out into the streets and making your point, um, uh, keeping the precepts is uh, absolutely guaranteed to be a way to lead you know, that leads towards peacefulness. So, in terms of civil disobedience, then there shouldn't uh, be any deliberate harming of other beings or deliberate uh, use of intoxicants or lying or um, uh, or um, uh, say uh, destructive conduct. But to express your opinion and to, to let your perspective be known uh, is, is entirely appropriate. In terms of the monastic order, I think uh, civil disobedience is uh, uh, the, the, only, the only thing that we are allowed to do in terms of expressing disapproval of a, of a government is what's called turning your bowl upside down. So this is something that's uh, allowed when there is a, an oppressive ruler uh, and the, the the sangha is seeing that a particular monarch or a ruler or a ruling body is behaving very destructively towards the population. That people are being harmed or uh, mistreated and damaged by the the cruelty of a of a ruler or a government, then they can refuse to accept alms food from them. So it's called turning turning the bowl upside down. So literally, if the if a ruler then who is who is acting in such a sort of uh, tyrannical, destructive, harmful way wants to offer alms food, then the sangha is allowed to turn the bowl upside down and to refuse to be uh, receiving the, the the alms food that's being offered by that particular ruler or that particular government. So that's how that's the limit of how disobedient we're allowed to be as monastics. But um, I think it's also one of the important things. In terms of the monastic tradition, it maybe uh, is a, uh, a good point to make in respect to this, is that we are, are we're never taking sides with particular political parties. And so that the monastery uh, and the monastic order is there to be a spiritual resource for everybody. So whether a person comes here and they're from the left wing or the right wing or the green wing or the purple wing or the middle, <laughs> wherever they happen to be, uh, whatever... Uh, 
political allegiance they have, the monastery is a place where they can uh, they can uh, say derive spiritual uh, nourishment and they can uh, they can receive spiritual guidance and and get perspective on the uh, the work they're doing and the the attitudes that, that they have and so and uh, within uh, our tradition and particularly in Thailand and within the the monasteries of Lumpur Cha. He was uh, Lumpur Lumpur Cha was very very rigorous on this that uh, everybody is welcome, and so that it's kind of in, in, amazing, interesting. That you sometimes get people from very very different political persuasions happily sitting next to each other in the meditation hall, and uh, some uh, people who have um, say had very uh, very different backgrounds very very different uh, views they're still human beings they have a body they have a mind they still suffer because of the results of attachment and clinging and so the dhamma is uh, is applicable you're not saying that you agree with their political opinions but you it's important that the monastery is a resource for everybody and so that um, as i said that the one gesture that the sangha is allowed to make is the turning the bowl upside down but i've only i've only ever heard of that being done uh, once in modern modern times and, and that's just hearsay i've never actually seen anybody do that i've never done that myself so i think it's a very very rare instance but i feel that sense of respecting people's uh, humanity and not turning um people who have different political opinions into the other or into an enemy or into a problem and then making that a cause for division and hatred i feel that in terms of dhamma practice it's always important to recognize we're all in this together we're sharing this life together and and so in terms of civil disobedience and that needs to be grounded on a, on a profound quality of loving kindness and compassion so essentially what you're saying is yeah i love you completely and I, I wish you no harm, but I'm not going to get out of your way. <laughs> but, uh, and you can do that without any kind of hypocrisy. Like, yes, I love you completely. I have no aversion towards you. And no, I don't agree with your opinion. Now, people might say, but if you, did, if you did respect me, if you did love me, then you'd agree with me. You say, well, you're entitled to that opinion. <laughs> that's, that's your way of seeing it. But uh, I, I feel I have complete respect for you. I love you. Uh, and I, I honor you, but no, I don't agree with you. So that, uh, that, in a sense, teasing a part of those qualities, whereby there's a genuine respect uh, uh, and, say, uh, honoring uh, of other beings, uh, that's, that's, that's sincere, that's, that's well-grounded, that, that's complete, but yet that, uh, that doesn't mean to say that you agree with what people do. That they, oftentimes it, it'll happen that people come to a monastery and they've they've um, done some pretty terrible things. They are they're a you know, armed robber, or they have killed somebody, or that they are they have been responsible for for uh, terrible suffering of others. Um, so that you don't condone their actions, or you don't you're not saying that you approve of what they've done, but you're still able to respect them as a, a human being, and you're able to offer help or assistance for them to try and deal with uh, what the, what they've done, the results of what they've done, and, uh, and helping them to make uh, reparations or to to um, say to heal the damage that they've done to the to the degree that that can be. Uh, that can be uh, say that can be healed. That, can, that um, things can be restored in a in a good way. So I feel that's one of the aspects of of dhamma that's very very valuable. 
uh, particularly in the Western world, where, it's, where, they, where the uh, attitude tends to be, you know, uh, if you respected me, you would agree with me. If you don't agree with me, you don't respect me. <laughs> no, not at all. I can respect you and have great uh, affection for you and still think you're, complete, you're talking complete nonsense. And without any hypocrisy, without any insincerity. And I think the more that we can feel at home uh, and trust that sense of radical acceptance and loving kindness, and then still feel free to say, yeah, I, uh, I love you completely, and no, I'm not, not, I'm not going to get out of your way. <laughs> I'm not going to go along with, with uh, what you want to do. That, that is the way that we can really bring about a, a good sort of dhammic influence into, into society. Then it's genuinely dhamma in practice rather than just dhamma as an, as an idea. So, another one. Uh, what is it that drives us on? Dear Ajahn Amaro, I hope everyone at Amravati is in good health and the community is receiving enough support to cover the needs. Yes, I think no one is, no one is starving here. But, uh, I think we, we have all the, the four requisites, so thank you for asking. Could you please give your thoughts on the following? Stressful situations are many in life. Peaceful and tranquil ones are few. So how do you find the balance between wanting and rejecting? Motivating yourself again and again in difficult times. But with all the difficulties in the practice, there seems to be a point where you feel you simply would not leave the path anymore. What is it that drives us on? Well, there's a few different dimensions to that. Um, I think uh, last week or week before, I, I made the point of, well, you know, what else is there to do? <laughs> that uh, it's like you you can object to the way nature is, or say, I, I don't agree with this, but nature carries on in its own way. And that, um, in a way, what drives us on is the, the very fact of of what we are. We're, we're part of a living system. We're part of a natural order, and that that. Um, at the very heart, that there's a uh, uh, an appreciation or a love of the good, a love of that uh, that natural order that that's of the very fabric of of reality. And everything is uh, is of that natural order, is of is dhamma, and so in, in a way, it's not us being uh, it's not uh, us as a, as people that are being driven on but rather that very quality of uh, of, uh, of dhamma that is at the very very fabric of reality um that's informing and the, the more that the mind is say open to that reality is is uh, intuits and respects the presence of that that the fundamental nature that that the the dhamma that is the word dhamma literally means that which integrates or that which supports the inter integrative integrative principle of the universe is, is what dhamma means that uh, the more the heart is open to that then carrying on is uh, is all that can happen like it's like talking to the sky and saying how do you carry on so, well he's just <laughs> you know the, it's that this is the way that uh, the, the the planets and the sky and the universe are. It's a, isn't it's not an effort. It's just the the natural ordering of things, if that's making it clear. And so that what when we don't want to carry on, it's where the the ego or the self view has taken over and particularly moved towards uh, nihilism or the vibhavatana, the desire to not feel, to not be, to to not do, and that it's uh, that. That's uh, the burdening or, the, or the, the tensing of the heart around 
uh, around dukkha, around suffering, and the urge to switch off, to not feel, to, to not be, that is where vibhava tanha is sort of is taking over. Like, I can't bear it, I can't carry on, um, uh, I just, uh, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here. That's really uh, an imposition upon that natural order. That's like the self-view, and particularly vibhava tanha, the desire to annihilate or get rid of, is swamping, is obscuring that the that natural dhamma, which is the very heart of things. So that the more that self-view can be seen and can be challenged, then the less power it has. And uh, the other side, the bhava tanha, is me wanting to become something, to be something, to 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 have and to, to kind of have a defined existence. But both Bhavatana and Vibhavatana, they both obscure the reality, they both obscure the, uh, the Dhamma. Next one. Thank you, Ajahn, for all the wonderful talks and responses to questions you've given during this pandemic. My question is, what do you do if you feel overwhelmed by circumstances and you don't feel your practice has reached a point where you have the capacity to deal with events? I would add, so this doesn't sound too despairing, that my practice, such as it is, has been a lifeline, as have these online talks. Thank you so much, and to all the Sangha, making these online talks possible. So thank you to the, the team, to uh, uh, keep making these things available. Um, um, it's kind of it's somewhat similar to the previous question. Um, one of the, the things that I always ha- found extraordinarily beneficial from Lumpur Sumato's approach, where uh, particularly dealing with negative mind states, um, and rather than climbing over the negative, the feeling of I can't bear this, or I've had enough of this, or, or um, uh, this is, uh, I've got this terrible anger problem, or this jealousy problem, or this restlessness problem, I've got this terrible lust problem, uh, rather than trying to climb over the, the, the obstruction or the, the negative feeling to get to this pleasant place where I'm free of anger and free of jealousy and free of lust and free, you know, free of fear, me on the other side of that uh, unwanted problem, he, over and over and over again, uh, and it took me quite a few years of hearing him say it to get, uh, really get, take to heart what he meant, was having loving kindness and an open-hearted attitude to that very negative feeling. Um, so rather than trying to, to get rid of your anger or climb over the anger to, to get to a loving place on the other side, to have lo- uh, loving kindness towards the angry feeling. Rather than trying to get rid of your jealousy so that you'll be me without jealousy, uh, 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 to have a loving kindness towards that jealous feeling. So in this respect, um, if I feel overwhelmed by circumstances and don't feel the practice has reached a point where you have the capacity to deal with events, I would say to go right to that very feeling when that overwhelmed, I can't bear this, I haven't got, I haven't got the strength, I can't, I can't carry on. This is the, uh, I haven't got the strength, I can't carry on, I'm overwhelmed feeling. That's what this is. And in that moment of naming what's there, you're opening the heart to that. You're not saying it shouldn't be there, you're not saying that it's, it belongs to you, you're not, it's not defining uh, uh, the limits of your world in any way. It's just, here it is. This is the, I'm totally overwhelmed and I can't carry on feeling. That's what this is. And that which knows the overwhelmed feeling isn't overwhelmed. It's like that which knows anger isn't angry. That which knows jealousy isn't jealous. That which knows lust isn't lustful, yeah, and yeah, that which knows happiness isn't happy, which is maybe a bit more challenging. <laughs> but uh, that um, that naming of what's actually present to the degree possible 
uh, the, that is so helpful. And I, I do this as a practice uh, regularly, every day, pretty much, as far as I can tell. That, oh, this is the, oh dear, what am I going to do with this, and not another one of these feeling. That's what this is. <laughs> and that in that moment of recognition, there's a kind of uh, spaciousness, there's a disentangling, and there's a, a knowing, oh, it's an object, it's an event. It's a thing, and that which knows the thing isn't the thing. Oh, and that oh, once again, is the aim of these kind of practices. So this is a response to the please ask a question only related to the topic. Um, the response is very clever. I'll just stick to the talk. <laughs> so to say, uh, so to say, so you follow that? So that it's like they were about to come up with a completely different question, then they read the read the instruction. Damn! So then they honorably and respectfully choose to follow the instruction. Thank you very much. I wouldn't say it's particularly clever, but it's, a, it's what we call a skillful means, uh, an upaya, to try and keep things on topic to the degree possible. So I will just stick to the talk, so to say. Appreciate your work, Ajans. Without monastics, I would be lost. I feel the wisdom of all the talks I have listened over the period of years. Now I stop. Okay, so no question. Very good. <laughs> Dear Ajahn Amro, I was ill several times in the last few months, and the doctors prescribed antibiotics. Given that bacteria are living beings, are Buddhists allowed to take antibiotics? Thank you. Um, well, I would say uh, bacteria are a generally a monocellular kind of plant life. So technically, they are alive, but uh, in terms, actually, in terms of the monastic uh, rule, if you can't see uh, any living thing, then it's outside of the precepts. So that um, the Buddha was was quite practical and sensible in this respect. So that rather than having the the nuns and monks worrying about taking life of things they can't see, the the rule that we have is if you can't see it, if it's not visible to the naked eye, then essentially don't worry about it. Um, but bacteria, uh, I would say, are plants. So they are a very, very simple kind of plant life, rather than animal life, as far as I know. Things like parasites, like a tapeworm is an animal, um, but uh, bacteria is much, much more simple. And so that uh, taking antibiotics um, to, uh, to say, uh, remove the negative effects of particular bacteria, I would say it's more along the lines of, of washing the mud off the carrots before you eat, before you eat them, or, or cleaning out cleaning under your fingernails. <laughs> Fortunately, mine are clean today. So cleaning out under your fingernails. So just as, uh, you know, if you're, the, you're removing the dirt from under your fingernails, or you're washing the mud off the carrots, it's like, yeah, you're, you're doing that as a basic way of trying to maintain well-being and um, your, your own health. And so that it's a beautiful thing to be respectful to all uh, uh, all living matter, but uh, we do have to draw the line somewhere. And so that because uh, if you were trying to to never even damage any bacteria, you'd never you'd never clean under your fingernails, you'd never wash the, your, your carrots, <laughs> you'd, ne you'd never wash your hands, and and so then you'd probably get uh, get very ill very quickly, and uh, a much larger life, the human life that uh, uh, that you have as a um, uh, a living being, as a living human being, would be compromised by um, a, a sort of well-intentioned respect 
for other other living things. So I would uh, I would say it's a this the question represents a um, a sense of, a, a very noble respectful attitude towards all living things. As uh, as bhikkhus as as monks, we are not even allowed to to damage a plant so that um, like a, a living plant. So I can't say pick a, a, a rose off a, a rose bush myself, but I am allowed to take antibiotics, and so that um, I don't have any hesitation in taking antibiotics if I need them. I also clean under my fingernails, and I, and I would you know, happily wash my teacups and and such like, so that then the bacteria don't accumulate, um, uh, and uh, you try to use a a um, Particularly in this COVID uh, COVID nineteen, uh, I'm washing my hands about ten or twelve times a day and um, uh, obeying the uh, the stipulations to help out of compassion for other people to to not be spreading any viruses that might be uh, on my hands or I might be carrying around. So that um, uh, I feel that uh, it's it's important to to recognise that the um, the uh, see the preserving or looking after the well being of this life. It is very uh, is very significant. It's also uh, interesting that only about ten percent of the DNA in a human body is human. Ninety percent of the DNA in our bodies is, is other uh, other living uh, systems. So that our body is more like a metropolis. It's like a a, a kind of a farm or a forest, a a, 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 a great complex. Uh, array of, of living things rather than a, a single entity but in order for that entity to survive in a, in a healthy way then we need to to balance how we look after all of the uh, the other beings that help to make up uh, this life of ours so that i hope that's uh, clarifying and that uh, if you're prescribed antibiotics you don't feel any hesitation in taking them because it'll help to keep your life going uh, a bit longer which is uh, probably of great benefit to you and i'm sure your family will be very pleased uh, to 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 know that you're also doing what you can to look after your life for your benefit and for the benefit of others too dear Ajahn amaro thanks for providing the dhamma talk sessions during vasa lockdown uh, I'm going through quite a hard testing time at the moment, recent mental health illnesses in the family. And whilst I can see the Dhamma of suffering and the cycle of it coming and going, it is so hard to keep up with the mindfulness, skillful actions. I used to use the four Brahma Viharas to support me during this testing time, but found it difficult, especially with metta. And then I switched to the Eightfold Path and found right intention, right mindfulness and right speech very useful so that I don't add more suffering to the current situation. <clears throat> Sometimes despair sets in too, and I have also said and done unskillful things when I'm overwhelmed. The path is very hard. Any advice, Ajahn? <laughs> Many thanks, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Well, there's a lot of uh, different things in there. Um, similarly to what I was saying earlier, um, both you know finding practices that bring a good result you know, try things out you make your own choices and i fully support if the if if one pathway doesn't work try another one see see what the results are learn for yourself you, you know, see what is beneficial for yourself and then when there is that overwhelmed uh, uh that overwhelmed feeling and also a sense of regret if you've done or said things that are unskillful. In that moment, oh, here is the regret of having done something unskillful. It feels this way. doesn't mean that we don't take action to, to do things more skillfully in the future, but in that moment, regret feels like this. 
it's it's this way and then we are able to use the painfulness of those kind of states but we're not stressed or burdened by that um, so that uh, when we're, uh, we are particularly dealing with, with complex or difficult situations there's that sense of oh what do I do with this or oh, I'm, I'm out of my depth here to use the quality of mindfulness to say okay this is the I'm out of my depth here what do I do with this that's what this feeling is and uh, again I found that so uh, so helpful and uh, in beneficial in, in in many many ways to uh, it really does bring about a, a change of heart so there was a couple of questions that didn't really relate to the topic but I'll <laughs> that uh, since people wrote them in I'll respond to them and then if there's any other questions in the hall that uh, if you want to carry on for a bit I'm open to that but I'll deal with these two first dear Ajahn how can I forgive someone who has hurt me so much even though I do metta for this person, I'm not sure whether I'm truly honest in doing so. Do I actually mean it? How can I stop my mind thinking that he will pay for his bad karma? How do I stop feeling that duality of, I do forgive you because I understand from your point of view why you did what you did and I hate you for hurting me and therefore bad things should happen to you to make you pay. Thank you. May the noble triple gem be with you. I think he's kind of spelled it out very well. It's like, yes, there's this, the kind of dharmic view uh, of the sort of the, the Buddha side of the, uh, of the of our being that says, I fully understand. You know, your your mind was overwhelmed by greed, hatred, and delusion, and that you are in a in a difficult state, so you acted in that way that was destru destructive and hurtful and and foolish. Uh, I fully accept that that was, that was a deluded state. And then the Mara side is, yes, and you should be punished. And I, you know, I want you to suffer. So there, yeah. And that, uh, that uh, I think being able just to, to, to really to to be able to write it down in that way, and to say there are these two things, there are these two voices, the two I would say two members of the committee. There's the sort of wise, noble, thoughtful, respectful, kind member of the committee, and there's the uh, you're evil and bad and wrong, and you should be punished, and I hate you, member of the committee. And so. Um, uh, I, I feel that just having typed that out as you have and um, putting it into words is is a very uh, is, you know very much the, the first step the the way that the the principle of the inner committee works best is if you have mindfulness and wisdom is the chair of the committee that <laughs> is the, uh, the that which is able like if you ever been on a committee or you've chaired a committee you know it's important to listen to all the voices around the table the sort of thoughtful wise reasonable voices and the reactive impulsive <laughs> um, childish ones and to say you know thank you for sharing yes that's that's a very good sensible point thank you for sharing and that uh, yeah uh, I, I understand you feel very upset thank you for sharing and you're not putting it down you're not being sort of supercilious or, or superior you really are listening to what what people are saying you're taking it in and then the heart which really embodies mindfulness and wisdom that's uh, the heart of dhamma and that uh, then receiving both of those perspectives into that uh, that spaciousness of mindfulness and wisdom then from that 
that uh, that receptive uh, awake quality then appropriate words and actions come forth so maybe it's uh, appropriate to say something maybe it's appropriate to say nothing maybe it's uh, uh, there's uh, this time to to give some feedback or time to crack a joke or time to just walk away uh, and but the exact details of what's most useful and beneficial is going to is going to vary uh, from moment to moment but i feel just um, what you're describing here that's uh, that's uh, very helpful in its own right. If you if you have listened or if you read many of Lumpur Cha's Dhamma talks, uh, he often talks he describes uh, this kind of inner dialogue and these different voices uh, in his mind of the the kind of the selfish reactive voice or the and the wise reflective voice and and uh, listening to both of that, listening to to the variety of voices, gathering them into the heart, and then letting that inform. Uh, Action and speech is uh, the best way to go. So a couple more. I'm 46 and have no savings, uh, uh, savings money or relationship ties, etc. Can you become a ma monastic or is there a cutoff? If so, are there any drawbacks because of my age, etc.? Many thanks. Well, it depends on which community. Uh, some uh, uh, the the nuns' community here has a, an age cutoff of 50. So if you're a woman, you've got four years to play with. But if you're a man, on the men's side, we don't have a, such a, a fixed cut-off point for the male community. But just having the intention to come into a monastery is very different from actually going into a monastery. Um, and uh, so that uh, rather than making plans to enter monastic life, the thing to do would be to, when the lockdown's over, at least come and stay for an, for a few days and see whether uh, the the idea and the fact uh, match each other because they as T.S. Eliot put it between the idea and the fact there falls the shadow the idea of I want to go to a monastery I've got no ties and actually being in a monastery with real living people I mean there's actually humans here who have opinions <laughs> and feelings and it's not just sort of blobs around you the dark brown blobs white blobs biscuit colored blobs and colored blobs and sort of you know, when you're, when you're an anagarica or you're a novice or a junior monk or a nun, fantasizing in my monastery, you know, in the perfect monastery, there's always just these blobs around that just, you know, when, when you're running your monastery, they just say, yes, Ajahn, you know, how high would you like me to jump, Ajahn? Where would you like me to land, Ajahn? You know, what, what else can I do for you, Ajahn? But, uh, but those blobs do not exist. They have feelings. They have names. They have stories. They have uh, opinions. And so... Um, the actuality of being in a monastery and living next to these non-blobs and having to do washing up together with them or joining in the, the, uh, uh, the chanting and the meditation and not being able to follow your own particular impulses and preferences is very, very different from the idea of me in a monastery. So I, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but uh, just to underscore the fact that between the idea and the fact there is several shadows. And then the last one, which was a late arrival. If we have a neighbor, that, and this was recognizing I've already spoken on this theme a few times. If we have a neighbor that often does something we find annoying and inconsiderate, like making unpleasant noises, is it only skillful to say something when it comes from a place of wanting to benefit them and when there's no sense of, I want them to stop annoying me? Well, um, good question. <laughs> The, uh, uh, sometimes that can be like a, a very, very long wait. So uh, I think it, to, to be practical, 
to uh, to reflect on it and to get to the point where the benefit uh, wanting to benefit them is the priority even if the i wish they would stop doing that that still might be in the mix but you're you're recognizing that as just a a reflex or a habit you're not letting that be the commanding or the sort of the dominating perception but rather yes there there is that but um i i am genuinely not allowing that to be the the driving force if you can't get to that point then i would say wait on it <laughs> and uh, to reflect on lumpur teaching of it's not the sound that's annoying you it's you that is annoying the sound it's a, a very helpful way of again shifting the the view and changing the attitude so uh, uh, i'm uh, very aware that many people have been gathered here perhaps uh, some of you who are here in the sala at amravati have your own questions that you might like to ask we've been here for an hour and a half or so already but uh, i'm open to one or two questions from the floor if there are, are any if there are none then that's good too but uh, if anybody has a a burning or a even simmering question then please uh, please feel free to ask yes Well, it's good. Uh, so uh, Anagarika Margit was asking, said she tried the not lying down practice for three days during the winter retreat. And so uh, it was really horrible. Um, in a way, that's part of the program. <laughs> but uh, I, f I feel the important thing is to look at the results so that uh, we're not trying to torture ourselves or make, uh, just make ourselves uh, uncomfortable, but can we make use of that discomfort? Is there a way that um, there was some benefit that came from that? And again, everyone is different, so we have to assess for ourselves. Certainly, the, the first few days of that kind of practice are, are generally very, very uncomfortable for most people. Um, but uh, whether it's worth carrying on or not, it really it's how the mind works with it. There's, there's not, it's not fixed. Um, they, uh, uh, I would say that the the reflective mind that can explore and say okay well uh there's this and this and this effect this is the result of having having followed this now can i get a perspective on that is there any what, what benefit is coming from this and to, to look to explore to be as honest as as one can be and uh, to realize you know if it's the case that well i gave it a good try for a few days but this is so overwhelming so difficult i can't get any perspective on it at all i'm just uh, uh i'm not getting anything valuable from this so let's leave it aside and maybe try it again in a year or two um or, or not you know that uh, but uh, i think that quality of, of uh looking with a, an unbiased eye as best one can and also it can be that sometimes when you, you do that you discover that damn it it was really useful <clears throat> you know that uh, you know, you uh, it, so somehow it might go against your preferences but uh, there was something that was very beneficial something very very helpful that came from that and that 
the so again that that looking with an unbiased eye um to, and to me as honest as as possible is is a helpful thing to 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 see what's the results of that because it's always the seeing what the effects are what the results are that is where we're really in, informed and um uh, and then uh, essentially we can only judge accurately for ourselves so that uh, yeah, and that, uh, and sometimes it can be just like I said. You know, that it might not be used, something might not be useful or beneficial right now, but maybe try it again later or do it in a different way and take a different angle of approach and, and see what the result is. I, re I really like to encourage an experimental attitude towards the practice because um, it's not just a sort of one size fits all, but everyone is different, and so trying things out and and really seeing. What uh, what's beneficial is the most helpful thing. Well, sometimes things that are really challenging and you know, really hard to do uh, bring the best results. Darn it! <laughs> but yeah, again, everyone has to. You have to judge for yourself. So I hope that's that's useful. Okay, is that enough for today? I think we can leave it there. Thank you for your attention and uh, for everyone's uh, good questions and uh, next week the theme is I think it's uh, the knowing in the knowing is it I haven't memorized the list anyway well look on the website you can see what the the, the theme for um, the uh, Sunday the 19th uh, is and then uh, please do send your questions in and uh, we'll uh, I'll be uh, hopefully back again next week if I haven't had an aneurysm or drop dead before then.